you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined again this week by Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC is in a constant state of flux. We know you guys are hanging on with us, and we appreciate that. So we've got some great content for you guys this week. We are going to start today with an interview with UFC 249, or the almost UFC 249's Kama Worthy, who is scheduled to fight Michael Johnson. He's going to talk to us about how ready he is to fight now, whether or not he'll be fighting in the near future, and whether or not he would like to fight Michael Johnson on a future card. Plus, me and Shockwave Dave are going to do something a little bit different today. I know we are only three months into the fight calendar, and then we have that hiatus, but we are going to do an award show as if that was the end of the year. That's right, we have the COVID-shortened MMA Awards of 2020, and even though it's only been three months, it has definitely got a lot of great contenders on it, so tune in, listen to that in just a little bit, but before we get to any of that great content, I gotta tell you that this episode is brought to you by BattleClan Gear. Visit BattleClanGear.com and make sure to use promo code TURTLEUP10 for 10% off your whole order. BattleClan Gear is top-notch grappling gear, it feels great, it looks great, but more importantly, the company stands for something. It, it, It stands for people coming together as part of your clan and right now i think the world needs that more than anything battle clan gear represents that concept so if you've got your clan back at your gym that you're thinking about and you're wishing you could train with why not support that concept by going to battleclangear.com and using promo code turtleup10 getting 10 percent off all of your purchase battle clan gear brings you this episode of top turtle mma podcast and it starts right now This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to UFC lightweight Kama Worthy, who is supposed to be fighting this weekend at UFC 249. Of course, we all know the fate of what happened at that fight card. Kama, I want to start by asking you about that, because you were supposed to fight Michael Johnson. Obviously, it got canceled. How were you told that it was canceled, and sort of what was your initial reaction from it? Um, I actually, um, someone tagged me. Um, in a in a post on Facebook, one one of the reporters uh, had me in a post on Facebook. I had done interviewing him like uh, two weeks before or something. He he must have heard it from somebody. And then like once I saw that, I looked online and there's a couple other places that were like confirmed it and stuff. And then my manager called me up. I mean, my reaction was like, I mean, like I I thought the fight was going to happen because I thought kind of we had gotten past those the lumps in the road or whatever. I mean, they had sent me my flight information and my flight itinerary and stuff, and they told me they were sending, like, um, COVID-19 tests from me and all my corner to take and all this stuff. So I was like, all right, so I thought it was going to all happen. So it kind of sucked when it went through that way. Yeah, absolutely. It sucked when it went through that way. Have you heard more from the UFC since then, or was that sort of the last that you heard from them? That was kind of the last thing I heard from them. I'm, I'm just kind of, I'm, I kind of like letting things just like, you know, kind of get, get into play, you know, I mean, it, was only, it was literally like just on Thursday, so it's only Monday, so I'm just kind of letting things like kind of figure themselves out, uh, um, I'm actually moving my gym, so I, I have a little bit of free time, so I'm going to go do that, so I'm just you know, taking care of the things I can um, take care of. That obviously makes a lot of sense. Now, you know, you're, you were supposed to fight Michael Johnson, I want to talk about that fight a little bit too, because, you know, you come off of this huge upset knockout, uh, and you're originally supposed to fight Atman Aziatar, who is a dangerous up-and-comer, you know, sort of like yourself, newer to the UFC. 
but then you get the the quick change for Michael Johnson. What were, was your thought process when they offered you Michael Johnson, and sort of what what are you hoping for when when this all goes back to normal and you get booked again? Um, yeah, my thought as of my thought process, I was excited, man. Like he's a he's a veteran. He's been in the game. He's been in the UFC for as long as I've been a pro. It's a long time. I remember I saw him when he came to Pittsburgh, his second fight in the UFC. I actually watched this fight here. So, I mean, I've been a fan of his. You know, I've seen his career grow and stuff like that. So, it'd be, it, I figured it would be a good way to test myself and also, um, be a, again, it would be a good way to jump jump ahead of a lot of people and stuff like that with a, a veteran fighter. I mean, like, because uh, he was supposed to fight on that car and he would have fought both the guys during the main event. He would have, you know, like, you know, he beat Tony Ferguson. I think he's the only person in the UFC to beat Tony Ferguson. So, I mean, I, I I was definitely looking forward to it. Um, as in my next fight, I, I was I'm probably gonna ask to see if I can get that fight again. I mean, like the as as hard fight was cool too, but I'd rather take the Michael Johnson fight. That'd be a little bit more uh, more recognition and stuff. And uh, and there's a couple other fights I, I was interested in as well. So we'll we'll see. Absolutely. Now, you know, you mentioned, you know, a chance to move your gym. I can hear some, some gym noises happening in the background, too. You know, I know that you're, you're a guy who runs his own gym. Uh, is this been a particularly tough time for that situation? Obviously, you were going to have this fight, and, and you know, fighters make income through fights. Uh, is this been tough knowing that, you know, like not a lot of people can come to your gym right now? Oh yeah, like we're we're not open at all. Like right now, um, that's one of my coaches. He he's done like a private one of guys, and like a couple of people do like maybe one or two privates a week just so they they're not like completely broke. But no, we're not we're not running any classes at least until May. Like that's the mayor has it, so it's at least until May. So we were, we've been closed this whole month. So I've been paying rent for here, and then I have to pay rent for the new spot as well. We're moving and we're moving in May first. So so every everything. I mean, like it's it, it's just money, but it is difficult. Really, really difficult, especially when I had in the back of my head. I was like, okay, well, if I fight, I can just use this and just put that into the business and take care of that. Now I'm not getting that, so that's all. But it, I mean, like it's like I said, it's just money. We'll bounce back from it, but it just makes things a little difficult. And, and Dana White said in his interview with Brett Akimoto too that he was planning on taking care of people who are willing to fight, who are willing to go all the way to to the Tachi Palace Casino in California amidst all of this. He was willing to take care of all of them. Are, are you sort of counting on some of that? Or are you waiting to hear anxiously? Have you been um, talking to your managers about it? Yeah, I mean, I know the UFC, the UFC usually take, they take their managers. They're a great organization. They take care of people. So I'm not, um, not like waiting. I'm just, I mean, I, I anticipate it will happen at some point, you know. Again, I'm letting, I'm just letting them like kind of like get their things organized. They were doing a whole bunch, so like, they were working like crazy all over the place. Like same thing as my manager. He was working like crazy doing all this on the organized. So I know they were they were doing so much stuff. So my manager said he'll work on something with me for me and I'm like, Yeah, that's fine, man. You know, I'm like it's it's just crazy. We're in untreaded water right now, so I'm not gonna demand anything because nothing's really technically forced upon. So but I mean I'm pretty sure they will they get, I know they get they've got the fires from London. They gave them all something and stuff, so I'm pretty sure they will. I mean, it won't be as much as I was going to make as fuck. I was going to get $50,000 knockout, but <laughs> I'll take what I can get. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, and speaking of taking what you can get, obviously, you know, Dana White has also promised that they're, they're going to be the first sport back. MMA is going to be the first sport back. UFC is going to be the first sport back. A lot of fighters have been criticizing, you know, like the, 
the people who have been willing to take fights or, or stuff because they're not fully prepared. How prepared do you feel like you would be to take a fight, you know, either right now amidst all of this or as soon as the UFC is back? No, I mean, I can take a fight right now. Like, I mean, like, seriously, like, if you're, if you're not prepared to take a fight, that means you're, like, at home sitting on your ass fucking watching Netflix eating ice cream or something. I mean, like, as in the weight cut, the weight cut might be a little bit difficult, but, like, no, I mean, like, you can, I can still, like, you can, you should still be meeting up with your coaches. Like, I think you should still be meeting up with your coaches and stuff like that. You're still, like, doing stuff and still working, like. All right. So, well, I, I guess, I, fighters might, like, criticizing other fighters for not taking the fight, so I was kind of confused. But I'm like, each, each person has their own, their own view, like I said, has their own view on it, you know, but I'm like, this is what they, this is how people make their living. Like, you know, everyone's okay with people ordering stuff from Amazon and those people have to go to work and people at McDonald's are still have to go to work and all that. Like my girlfriend, she's in the medical field. Like she still has to work. She's actually lucky she gets to work from home, but, she, but she's still organizing people to have to go out and do stuff. Like they still have to go do all this stuff. So if they have, they have to do theirs, then it's, I don't really see the big deal about fires wanting to fight so they can take care of their families because that's the only way they make money. Absolutely. Well, we're, we're looking forward to seeing you fight again as soon as possible. Obviously, as soon as all of this is all sorted out, we expect to see you on a card. Once again, folks, this was Kama Worthy, who was supposed to fight this weekend, but was kind enough to join us this week. Anyway, Kama, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. No problem, man. Thanks for having me on. This episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by a Ladder. Have you tried like 600 different supplements and pre-workouts and you're tired of looking for the perfect one? Well, you're not alone. In fact, LeBron James was there during the NBA Finals, cramping up, feeling awful. And, and if you've ever cramped up during jiu-jitsu or MMA, you know it is the absolute worst. But that's why LeBron teamed up with Arnold Schwarzenegger to create Ladder and change the way that supplements are made. Their supplements have carefully been crafted by top scientists for high-level performance, quality, and most important to me, taste. I've been throwing their tropical fruit pre-workout in before my quarantine training sessions, and I feel better than ever. And they're also third-party NSF certified, which means I can count on knowing that only the best stuff is going into my body. Now, they want to help you unlock the best in any situation, and that means access to special offers and expert advice, and you can do all of that at ladder.sport. That's L-A-D-D-E-R dot S-P-O-R-T. And make sure while you're there, you use promo code BETTER EVERY DAY for 30% off your whole order. And once again, I am Daniel Gumpy Vreeland, joined by Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave Worthy is definitely ready to get back in there. A-S-A-P. I guess we just got to talk about when exactly A-S-A-P will be. Yeah, I love the fighting spirit and Worthy. It runs deep within him, and I want to see him get back out there, and I want to see everyone get back out there, and it looks like a little bit of TMZ breaking news, depending on when you're listening to this, but it sounds like May 9th, Vegas being targeted, although the location's still TBD, Dana White playing it close to his, his chest, his vest, ace up his sleeve. Forget about the location. Let's just talk about May 9th and the big card that is rumored. Yeah, I mean, like, it, when you look at this card, it, you can tell he's trying to get back in, like, a big way, right? Like, he doesn't want to limp in with, like, a UFC and Uruguay card. You know, like, he, he very clearly wants to, like, blow the doors off this. I mean, like, if you look at this card, I would say there are, uh, on a, d did you see the, the entire thing? I, I would say on 
on a regular pay-per-view, nine or ten of those fights could appear and I would ask no questions. And then the, like, 11th and 12th one might appear on a weak pay-per-view, and I would be like, oh, yeah, I guess Charles Rosa versus Bryce Mitchell on pay-per-view kind of makes sense as, like, that, like, fifth fight that you're like, eh, probably I'm not paying for Bryce Mitchell versus Charles Rosa. But, like, it, dude, that is a deep-ass card. Well, let's talk about it. Let's let's be of service to our loyal Top Turtle listeners. And I, I have the card here in front of me. I just want you to give a quick uh, one-liner of what you think of the fight and an excitement level on 1 to 10. This card is rumored to be headlined. And again, everything in the COVID era is a rumor. Nothing happens until it happens. Tony Ferguson, Justin Gage. Uh, I'm violence. Just absolute violence and a fight that I've wanted for a long time. Henry Cejudo, Dominic Cruz for the 135-pound scratch. <laughs> the dumbest matchmaking to fix the dumbest matchmaking. I love that. Um, and I'm actually excited about that fight. It's a great fight! I grab... <laughs> yeah. It's a great yeah. fight. But I, like, I, mean, I, thought... I thought Aljo deserved it. Yeah, Aljo, I didn't think deserved it. And then when... They were like, Aljo's out. I'm like, oh, cool. They'll give it to one of the guys who deserves it. And then they found, if possible, somebody who deserved it less than Aljo. <laughs> Amanda Nunes and Felicia Spencer. Uh, it's a necessary fight. Let's call it that. I like that. Uh, and then Francis Naganu and Jerzino Rosenstreich. Uh, I love this fight mostly because uh, if Rosenstreich like, weathered that, that Alistair Overeem storm, I want to see if he can weather the Francis Naganu storm. Jeremy Stevens and Calvin Qatar. Yeah, underrated violence, right? Because Calvin Cater's boxing is so crisp, and I'd love to see what he can do with it against uh, Jeremy Stevens. And then Donald Cerrone and Anthony Pettis, what? WEC never dies. Uh, Greg Hardy and Jorgen DeCastro. Ah, this is my sleeper pick on the card, mostly just because I, I think Jorgen DeCastro has got that, like, new Mark Hunt vibe, and I think people are going to love the shit out of him in, like, a year. Senior MMA circuit, Alexio Linux taking on Fabricio Verdum at heavyweight. I forgot Fabricio Verdum was in the UFC until I saw this card. Legitimately forgot. Good for him I'm getting his USADA suspension reduced. Carla Esparza, a former champ at 115, and Michelle Watterson. And this is what I'm talking about. Like, every single card or fight on this card could be a pay-per-view fight, right? Like, Michelle Watterson has fought on pay-per-view before and has been a main event before. So, uh, and Carla Esparza obviously has as a champ, too. Um, I'm excited for this mostly because I'm interested to see how Michelle Watterson's wrestling will match with Carla Esparza and whether or not she can use that jujitsu against Carla. And then Jacare and Uriah Hall. Man, and, and they just keep coming. I'm glad Jacare's moving back to 85, and I'm interested to see what Uriah Hall does with more time at Fortis MMA because it seems to be serving him well. We already spoke about Charles Rosa and Bryce Mitchell potentially kicking off the pay-per-view at six, but then maybe second from the bottom of the card, you'd have Vicente Luke and Nico Price. Uh, I like the fight, although the fact that we've seen it once kind of takes the luster off of it. I didn't need to see the rematch, even though Nico Price is always great for the weirdest fucking knockouts you've ever seen in your life. That knockout on Randy Brown is like all-time ridiculousness in MMA. Well, nothing is for certain in the times we live in right now, although I think we're seeing some positive 
news stories coming out here. And obviously the WWE has been running every week in Florida. I think a lot of sports leagues are eyeing Florida uh, as they have a friendly governor to sporting, sporting competitions, at least with no audience, uh, you know, uh, no fans in a crowded stadium. And, and UFC is uniquely positioned where they can really get away more so than like a baseball team, a football game. You're talking about maybe on a card, uh, you know, 10 fights, you're talking about 20 people or 11 fights, 22 fighters. Uh, that's not the worst. Obviously, a baseball team, even though nine people are on the field, there's like 100 in the dugout. And now, of course, you know, they, they'll probably limit corner men and all that. I'll leave the logistics to them. I don't want to get too excited about it, though, until we actually see it. And it really segues perfectly, Gumby, into what we want to talk about today, because this year is going to be uh, defined by two halves, more or less, so we think. It will be everything that happened in MMA up to the end of March when we saw Kevin Lee uh, lose down in Brazil, uh, and then it'll be whatever comes up on May 9th, hopefully as the kickoff date, that becomes like part two of the year. So what we want to do this week is bring you the COVID shortened awards for the half year 2020. So what are our awards? We always do an award show at the end of the year, in the middle of the year, but this, this time we're doing it just for the three months of fights, really only a quarter of a year, but it feels like, you know, we've lived 10 lifetimes this year. So it feels like a good time to do the COVID shortened awards. But before we get to our COVID-shortened awards for half-year 2020, or really quarter-year 2020, but let's not uh, mince words here, does anyone bring us this segment? Absolutely. The COVID-shortened MMA awards for this year are brought to you by Maroon Social. Head to wherever it is you download apps. Download the Maroon Social app. It is the premier way to track your martial arts experience. While you might not be training a ton now, when you do get back in the gym, you want to have a way to log that training, make notes, mark down your competitions and your weigh-ins and whatnot. And Maroon Social is the only way to do that. So whether you do jiu-jitsu, boxing, sambo, or some other martial art, make sure to head on over to your local app store and download the Maroon Social app. I love it. And I love knockouts, as does everyone. And I think it's a great place to start our award show. Now, you might say, I mean, geez, how many fights have there actually been this year? Um, because everything, the world basically shut down in March. And I am here to tell you that, you know, we'll have a couple of honorable mentions from fight promotions outside the UFC, because that's just what we do on this show. We're by an MMA, ner a group of MMA, MMA nerds. Well, it's not easy to say today <laughs> for MMA nerds, but we'll mainly be focusing on the UFC and the UFC had 517 fights so far this year. There were 79 uh, nope. You know what? I'm looking at the wrong year. I, I was going to say, there's no way in three months they had 500 fights. So let's rewind. <laughs> so far this year, uh, in 2020, the UFC had 95 fights. There you go. That sounds more realistic. <laughs> and there were 13 submissions in those 95 fights. And I know that because I've been counting. But that all being said, we're going to start a KO and we're going to do a top three here because, again, we're not going to do a top five. That would just be silly based off 95 or so fights. We're going to start with a famous one and one that you probably saw if you're a casual MMA fan. And that was Conor McGregor setting up his TKO over Donald Cowboy Cerrone, which was really set up by shoulder strikes. Yeah, I'd put it on this list just because of the shoulder strikes. And really, if, if those were the things that knocked him out, it would be on a KO list 
for the rest of the time. But the fact of the matter is he winds up working in the kick and then some follow-up punches to get the finish, which is probably the, the fact that the spectacle of it was the something that happened like 12 seconds before the actual knockout, I think lowers it a little bit on, on the list there. Uh, number two, you have two guys who are surging towards the top of the division at light heavyweight in the mix to fight John Jones. And listen, when you're in the mix to fight John Jones, knowing what legal troubles he's always in, that really means you're in the mix for an interim title uh, because they might strip him at any moment. You just never know when it comes to John Jones. So these two guys had to put on a big performance, and Jan Blachowicz did with a big KO of Corey Anderson, our number two KO of the year. Yeah, I, I love that is like a, a number two KO because it was absolutely vicious. And also the way he like, you know, and, and we probably shouldn't count this in, into the knockout, but the way that he like just went straight to John Jones, like he knew what he was doing. He was like, I'm going to knock out Corey Anderson and then strut right over there and demand that shot. Dude, that is a crazy good knockout uh, and would be like probably up there in knockout of the year list, even if we had had a full year, I feel like, because it's so vicious, and yet here it is, three months, and I'm still putting it number two. Uh, number one with a bullet, Benil Darush with a big left hand over Jakar Close. Yeah, I put this one up here too because uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, who doesn't love a jujitsu guy absolutely flatlining somebody with a left hand? Because for me, that that was the tops, right? Like he he by all stretch of the imagination was only supposed to win this fight if he could get to the ground. He stuns Drakkar Close, backs him up, and lands like a knockoff le- walk off left hand. It's incredible, and especially incredible for a jujitsu black belt who who is seen as kind of like a jujitsu y guy, although I guess he works with Rafael Cordero, so we, we should give him some credit over at Kings MMA. But yeah, that's my number one KO of the year so far. <laughs> now, just to prove that we're not myopic in our thinking, only talking about the UFC, hit us with an honorable mention. Uh, I like Aaron Blanchfield's uh, KO from Invicta. That one for me was a really big knockout. It was Invicta 39. Uh, she she hits, um, damn, now the, the name of the person she's knocking out escaping me. Um, but yeah, she hit her opponent with like a big left high kick that almost was kind of like a walk-off KO. She knew it as soon as she hit it. Um, and I'd also throw in there for an honorable mention too. Don't forget Herbert Burns knocking out Nate Landwer. Um, because as far as jujitsu guys coming up with a big knockout, that was another fight that we expected. You know, Herbert Burns had to get him down in order to win, and instead he lands this vicious knee. We'll move then to subs. A little submarine sandwich action coming in at number three: the Kelleher guillotine over Osborne. Yeah, I love Brian Kelleher's uh, guillotine over Odie Osborne. The the way that he started it standing, gets him sort of like crouched against the cage there um, with the hips in. It was a sick guillotine, but at the end of the day, like, you know, it's a pretty standard looking guillotine without falling to your back. So um, definitely can't put it too high up on the list. Yeah, you know, we had we had a short number of subs to choose from. Daniel Rodriguez had a sick ninja choke on Tim Means, though. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people didn't know what to do with this choke, right? Because like... He takes that fight on, like, three or four days' notice. He's fighting Tim Means, a guy who has, like, not been submitted in, like, I think it was, like, seven or eight years or something like that. He locks in that ninja choke and gets him to tap almost immediately. He's a 10th planet uh, jiu-jitsu, I think, brown belt, but I'm not 100% certain on that one. So, like, we could definitely see some good jiu-jitsu out of him in the future, too. But when was the last time you saw a ninja choke? Got to put it on the list for that reason. Number one, though, Jordan Griffin with a big Marcella team over T.J. Brown. 
Yeah, I mean, how can you not give submission of the year to a guy in bottom side control who puts his opponent out cold uh, with the Marcelotine grip on his guillotine there? I, I love it. I think it was so fucking good. And I think even uh, there are so many people who watched that who didn't understand why that guillotine was working um, with the high elbow and, and the change. It, it's just so smart. It's so great. And, uh, you know, when you put your opponent unconscious like that, I think automatically it catapults you up a little bit. How about an honorable mention for a sub? Oh, of course. LFA 82, uh, the main event, Alex Polizzi, who I think you will be seeing on Contender Series, should it actually happen this summer. Um, he got a heel hook on Jamal Pogues, who was on the Contender Series previously, and if I'm not mistaken, even won a fight on the Contender Series. So, um, yeah, d- definitely big things to come from him, and who doesn't like seeing a heel hook finish in MMA? All right, uh, we're going to get to our fights of the year, something you guys can all go back and replay if you missed them. I don't think there's going to be any doubt about what's number one, but I'll tell you what number three is, and that's Stoliaranka Julia defeating Lisa uh, Versova at Invicta Phoenix Rising 3. Yeah, Julia Stoliarenko versus Lisa Verzosa was such a good fight to cap off. What was uh, another exciting, like, Phoenix Rising card? I feel like people don't give enough credit to those Phoenix Rising cards because they're seen as, like, offshoots or they've got the weird tournament in them that has, like, one-round fights. But that main event was absolutely a bloodbath and so fun to watch if you're the type of person who only watches UFC. Look, look, we've only put UFC things on our first two categories here, and this one had to make it in. So that just shows you how highly I feel about this fight. Make sure that you go back and watch that on Fight Pass. Well, I think people were expecting uh, heavy firepower in our number two fight, hoping for a knockout. It didn't happen, but it turned into just a great technical striking battle and that was paul felder and dan hooker down in auckland yeah it, it was absolutely a crazy fight back and forth I, if you told me that was going to go five rounds i would have laughed at you because i thought hooker has the knockout power felder has shown knockout power they're both not afraid to get hit and, and they both did that but also were very smart with the way that they play defense at certain times i love the fight i thought it was so exciting I'm one of the very few people, I think, that thought the judges got it right um, and gave the fight to Dan Hooker. But, uh, you know, that that's one of those absolute instant classics. I'm positive that will be on end of the year list, too, all the way in December or January when we look back at this as well. Well, I'll tell you what's going to be on the end of time list and probably the greatest female fight of all time. It's uh, Zhang Weili versus Joanna Champion at UFC 248. What a fight. Yeah, I, I have it. I've re, you know, especially when you've got this extra time on your hands, you've you've gone over all of your MMA lists in your head 700 million times. I've have this constantly in my top five, sometimes as high as number three or two, just because it is absolutely positively one of the most exciting fights I have ever seen in my entire life. You're talking about all time. I'm talking about all time. Uh, The only one that I definitively have in front of it from my own personal stance is uh, Robbie Lawler versus Roy McDonald. That's the only fight I have put in front of it. That's my number one of all time, and that one doesn't change. Sometimes I have this one too. Sometimes it slides behind, you know, one or two other really fucking good ones. But, like, this is right up there for the number two fight in history for me. It is so good. There is just such brutal exchanges. There are moments for both women where they look phenomenal. Joanna's face gets absolutely messed up. It's such an exciting fight. I, you know, I can't say enough about it. I'd watch it a hundred times. 
How about an honorable mention? Oh, yeah, let's throw in there. Um, it, I don't even think it won Fight of the Night, which is kind of a crime, but I loved Brandon Moreno versus Juicy A. Formiga at UFC Brasilia. Uh, I thought it was such a good back and forth. Moreno showed that he can, like, grapple with a really high-level grappler, which I guess he's shown a couple of times before, but this made him look like he's actually the the champion in waiting that some people had touted him as before. And, you know, with with his buddy Henry Cejudo out of the division now, it sort of sets up a title fight for him, depending on what people think about whether or not Joseph Benavidez deserves a fourth shot at the title or is maybe fifth at this point. Um, but extra shot at the title for Joseph Benavidez. Uh, I, I think Moreno versus uh, Davidson Figueredo would be such a fun title fight right now for that vacant title. So I, I'd look for him to, to have punched that ticket and maybe we see that sometime in the summer. Well, it's tough to narrow down a fighter of the three months into the year, <laughs> but I actually think we have a nice list here. Starting at number three, it's Angela Hill, who's actually 2-0 and so far this year. Yeah, and, and I think, too, it's important to note that when we did Fighter of the Year here, we're talking about fighters who did the most for their career. Because if, you, if we're talking about fighters, you know, who are the top of a pound-for-pound pound list, you, I mean, you just go back to Vlaily Zhang, right? Like, she just won an awesome fight. We're talking about people who made a big jump. And really, when you look at Angela Hill, fighting twice in a year when it, that year is only three months long is, first of all, impressive. But not only that, is she did a lot for her fan base by winning those two fights. She won one by TKO, looked damn good against Hannah Seifers. She decisioned a really tough Muay Thai specialist in Lumaluk Bume. And, and I think that that did a lot for her, especially stepping up on short notice, because people, again, recognize that she's the one who steps up on short notice. When they had some pullouts and some fights earlier, people were instantly throwing her name out there again for another fight coming up. So, like, I think she really catapulted herself up into the public conscience with those two wins. Uh, completely agree. Gilbert Burns had a huge TKO win over Damian Maia. He's number two. Yeah, and for me, too, the fact that you can now put Gilbert Burns on a list of four people who have beaten Damian Maia in the last, like, what is it, like five years? He's only lost four times. And that list includes Kamara Usman, Colby Covington, and Tyrone Woodley, the guys who are one, two, and three in the division. And to me, if you have a list that has only one, two, and three, and then you, you're in good company. And Gilbert Burns not only did that, but Gilbert Burns did what those other guys did not do, and that's put Damian Maya away. So, I mean, he launched himself up the welterweight rankings. He's all the way up to being ranked number six right now. Um, that is a huge jump for him because he was chilling right around 10, I think, or 11. Um, but there is one person who jumped up those same rankings only a little bit quicker. Uh, yeah, and that would be our number uno fighter of the year. Michael Chiesa. Yeah, Michael Chiesa, a guy who we were barely talking about at lightweight. You know, he was slowly falling down the rankings of lightweight. Makes the change to welterweight. Just He fights Diego Sanchez to start, although that's in 2019, so maybe we don't count that. There's all that weird stuff going on with Diego, so some people just write off that win. is like, whatever, you know, that's Michael Chiesa, good, cool win. But then he steps up and fights... RDA, who's a guy who is perennially at the top of the welterweight division or the lightweight division before that. It seems like it's a fight that's way out of Michael Chiesa's grasp, and he absolutely destroys him. He looks so good doing it, jumps all the way up into the top 10. He, I think he's ranked number eight now at welterweight, and he's like, you know, he's calling out people like Colby Covington. Like, who would have thought 
you know, six months ago that Michael Chiesa could call out Colby Covington and people would buy it. People would be like, yeah, set that fight up. And here I am hoping that it happens. So for fighters who did the most for their career in those three months, I, I mean, I, you got to say it's Michael Chiesa. Uh, how about an honorable mention, though? Uh, let's go with the aforementioned uh, Brandon Moreno. You know, we mentioned he's a guy who uh, who did a lot for his career with that that one victory over Juicy A. Formiga. He showed he can beat a really tough grappler. He showed he's ready to to sort of fight at the top of the division. Um, I, I'd throw him on that list too. I, I consider putting him in there over Angela Hill. Well, that does it for us. We certainly hope you enjoyed our award show in the coronavirus era. Uh, let us know on our Twitter if you thought we got this right or if we really effed it up. We're accepting both love and hate feedback. That's at Top Turtle MMA on Twitter. Gumby, I think that about wraps it up. Why don't you uh, do a little house cleaning here and take us home? And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We could not do what we do without you guys, and especially in these tough times. I know you guys may not have tons of time on your hands, but we appreciate you spending that time with us. We also like to thank Flow Combat for giving us a place to land our mothership each and every week because they are the top-notch place to make sure that you hear Top Turtle MMA. We also want to thank our three sponsors, Maroon Social, Battle Clan Gear, and Ladder Nutrition. And we want to remind you guys that you can check us out each and every day on Twitter at Top Turtle MMA. All kinds of great content going on over there. I'm Daniel Gubby-Vreeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will see you next week. <laughs>